Broadcasting live from the Snook Studios here in Kirkwood, Missouri. We always want to talk to you about the new ice cream at Snooks. Just look for the red Snooks circle on the cart. Ice cream in the cart. Is there a better summer combo? Snooks. I don't think so. That's why they made the Snooks Cardinal Cherry Crunch Ice Cream. So root for the Cardinals this summer with scoops of Snooks Cherry Crunch Ice Cream exclusively at Snooks. Don't get down on the Cardinals yet. This was coming. But let's go to my man. We call him the six. It ain't Lee Majors. It's Dr. Rick Lehman, $6 million man. What's up, Doc? <laughs> How much? How are you? <laughs> Lee Majors. How the hell was $6 million Steve man? Yeah, he can, all he could do is run. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I was watching Wimbledon, and they were talking about this one lady. It's one foreign lady who's married to a black gentleman. I forgot mm-hmm. her name. I should think. Beautiful girl. Oh, my God. <laughs> she had a baby, and they were talking about her, Serena. You talking about uh, Naomi Osaka? No. No, I'm like, who are you talking about? She, 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 just had, she just had a baby. That's the only reason maybe. No, no, I ain't talking about her. No, no. But, Dr. Rick, how can a woman pull something out of her body a year before and play a physical demanding sport like tennis? Well, you know, I, I think it's hard to come back. I mean, you know, as Joe just said, Naomi Osaka just had a baby. Um, and uh, planning on coming, actually trying to come back for next year's uh, Australian Open, which is in January. So, you know, Serena baby, and came back. But I, I don't know that they ever really come back to the level that they were before they left. And that's track and field. Uh, Allison Felix, uh, Don Harper, we can go down the list. Um, so I think it's hard to have a child and, and train. And I think the other, I think the other issue which no one talks about is it kind of changes you mentally, right? So all of a sudden track and field or tennis or whatever isn't so important. You know, I think you lose a little bit of your focus once you've had a child. And I, and I see that over and over again. And in talking to Allison Felix, who's probably the most decorated sprinter of our time, you know, she says, yeah, I want to win. I'm training hard. But, you know, I, I don't have the same urgency. It's just not like it was before. And I, and I think Serena had that same feeling. Yeah, I want to win, but uh, it's not life or death like it used to be. So, again, I agree with you. I think it's very hard physio- physically and physiologically, but also I think there's a mental component. And, uh, you know, it's tough. Uh, Dr. Rick, talking about uh, how hard it is to come back, uh, can you talk about uh, Shakari Richardson and how tough it was for her to uh, go through what she went through just mentally from being at the top and then one bad moment made her fall down and kind of no people kind of forgot about her, but now she's back on top, but she's not getting the same type of love that she got beforehand. Well, you know, first of all, I know Shakari obviously very well, uh, and she is a phenom. I mean, came in second in the 200 to Gabby Thomas, which was a great race for Gabby, who's also a sweet gal. 
um, and won the hundred going away. Um, but you know, she was she was the golden child. And then, as uh, some may remember, some may not remember, she got um, tested positive for marijuana. Her aunt died, and um, you know she smoked and or did something, ate it, something, did something, and tested positive. And uh, you know she got badly ridiculed for that. Now, my take on that, and we've talked about this, is why do you punish someone for taking, for testing positive for marijuana when marijuana is, is certainly not a stimulant? And if you can win smoking marijuana, you, they should give you two medals, not just one medal. <laughs> so at this point, I, I think she is back. Um, people see her in a different light. Uh, her coach, Dennis Mitchell, is trying to work on, on that image. Um, she tore off her wig the other day and uh, yeah, the sure red did. wig and, and kicked, <laughs> kicked uh, butt uh, in the hundred. So, you know, she, she's all about the show, too. Let me tell you, she's over there with the nails and, the, and you know, the fake eyelashes and smiling when we're shooting the selfies. So, you know, she, she's got a lot of personality. And I think if she wins a gold medal, uh, which I do think she will win in Paris, and I think she'll win a gold medal uh, in Budapest and the world's coming up here in a month, you know, she'll be back. But, you know, she got, she took a lot of grief for that, which I think was uh, misguided, quite honestly. With her doc, Shakari Richardson, and we mentioned with the uh, ladies that have pregnancy and they come back psychologically, do these athletes, do a lot of them have a psychologist or psychiatrist that they use and lean on to, uh, you know, to help them through the tough times? You know, Tommy, that's a great question, and, and I think they don't. You know, I think I, I, I always we, we have a team psychologist, and we did with all the pro hockey team sports psychologists, and I think that's important. But for that one issue, you know, I think they're kind of riding it alone. Maybe mom's helping a little bit. Um, but, you know, I, I think they need someone to kind of kind of work through not only the physical uh, part of it, and I think they need someone to work through that as well because, I mean, these are some changes but then work through the psychological part of it. And I think a lot of them go it alone, and I think that's been a problem. Um, we, we, we heard the, the terrible story of Tori, who uh, died uh, having a child, and she certainly didn't have anybody to help her through it. So I, I think at this point, you know, that would be a, a very positive thing. You get pregnant, maybe say, look, you know, this is what you're going to go through. This is psychologically how you have to handle it. And you know what? Um, if you retire after that, so what? You know, I think that's the message to a lot of these athletes should be, hey, you know, if you're ready to turn, you know, you don't have to come back after you deliver and win Wimbledon again. It's all right. You know, you've done your thing. And certainly Alice said after she had her baby, you know, we had this conversation and Bobby Kersey told her, he said, look, you know, you, you, you're the great, most decorated track athlete of our time. In, 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 there's not that much pressure. She came back, she got a bronze medal. Uh, and I think the uh, 200 and then uh, another gold in the relays. But, you know, that just added to her mystique. So, again, uh, I agree with you. I think that's a very good suggestion. Dr. Rick, uh, piggyback off of Tom's fantastic question. Does the everyday person, we all, all of us have doctors, 90% of us, unless your home is can't afford it, don't you think that's a good idea for people in the everyday life to have a therapist, someone they can talk to once a week or once or a couple times a month? Because we all have stress and pressure. 
Well, I, I do, you know, and I think that's a big component to disease, not just a big component to, you know, mental disease, but a big component to disease. And anyone who says they don't have stress and pressure, you know, is either lying or living life because I don't care where you are uh, in, 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 in the paradigm. It's, you know, it's, there's stuff out there that happens. And, and I think somebody to talk to on a professional level is really important just to kind of give you some feedback. And, you know, it doesn't have to be some crazy expensive therapist. I mean, you mm-hmm. can, there's all kinds of stuff online. There's all, all, all kinds of ways to chat with somebody and, you know, get some very solid um, feedback and, and, and professional help. So, again, I agree with you. I think, you know, once a week, every other week, just sit down and, you know, on your mind, let's talk about it and let's think about some ways to kind of work through it. And I think that's a huge positive. Yeah, I think uh, nowadays it's come to to be, especially with all the, the shootings that go on and, and things like that, people need mental health. And it's it's a thing that it's been long uh, talked about, but nobody has put it uh, in the forefront. Well, you know, I, personally, I think, it's taken such a back seat and, and there's such a social stigma, right? I mean, like people are like, Oh, you know, there's this, there's a social stigma uh, 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 about mental health, which really, again, I've always said this a hundred times. If you had diabetes, no one is going to think bad of you. Oh, you got diabetes. You're just, you know, mentally weak. So why is someone with mental health issues? Why is that any different? You know, it's like vitamin D deficiency or heart disease or diabetes. So, I couldn't agree more, and, and I think that's just another part of your organ system, your brain, but when it goes south, everybody's looking down on you. You know, that's just not right. Dr. Rick, we're going to take a top of the hour timeout. When we come back, I want to talk to you about Deion Sanders. He's got another blood clot. I want to talk to you about eggs. Women have them. Chickens have them. I want to talk to you about transgender suicide rates up. Mm-hmm. Also, I want to talk to you about getting old. And why, do, why does everything on our body change, including the color of our hair? We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Charlie Tuna Show, presented by Ameren, Illinois, on 590 The Fan and 590TheFan.com. All right, welcome back to the Charlie Tuna Show. It's our Thursday night edition, folks. You know, we have a long weekend. Eddie Kendrick, David Ruffin, Eddie Kendrick. That's it? No. No. It's David Ruffin and Eddie Kendrick. Birthday? No, oh, you were singing about, I thought you were talking about the song. No, I know that. You're still trying to figure out the birthday? Trying to figure out the birthday of somebody. All right, we're going to get back to Dr. Rick Lehman. Uh, we have a, a big weekend this week. Of course, th- there's a reason I've never, ever worked 
on a Friday and talk radio. Now, I tape a Motown show on Friday. The reason why I don't work because Friday night's my night. I start to go out. The weekend begins for me on Thursday night, tonight, and it goes until Monday night. That's the way we do it. Dr. Rick Lehman is with us. Dr. Rick, I keep hearing the transgenders and some gay folks are committing suicide. Is that an all-time high right now? Uh, It's through the roof. It's through the roof. And, you know, you can understand it, right? I mean, they certainly have turmoil. You know, I always say they're 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 kind of mentally tortured. They're not, you know, they they they're not really sure. Are they guys? Are they girls? They're going through all these changes. People are looking at them suspect, etc. And clearly, it's 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 just total mental confusion for a lot of these uh, uh, people, these transgenders. And so clearly, uh, with societal norms, etc. You know, I think the incidence of depression, anxiety these illnesses that we're just talking about mental illnesses go through the roof and then it's just math you know what percentage of people that are chronically depressed are going to commit suicide and that number is probably about 1.01 to 0.03 percent so again that number is pretty high for transgenders and you can understand going through all that you know at some point you're like boy this just isn't worth it all and you think about hurting yourself and sometimes your family members can be the worst well, you, you know, I, I think, I mean, everyone looks at this differently, and I think the family has to be as accepting as they can be. And, it, you know, it's not so easy, I'm sure, um, number one. And then, and then, you know, the people that are close to you not being accepting makes the whole process 100 times worse. So if you think about it, it's just really a bad situation. And I really feel like uh, for family members out there, parents, brothers, sisters, nieces, and nephews, you know, you got to grab these people, give them a hug, and just tell them, you know, look, whichever way this goes, whatever you want to do, this is your decision. And, you know, whether you're Jenny or Johnny, you know, we're, we're, we're in your corner. Uh, Dr. Rick, I was looking at this uh, article you sent me, and it says a doctor reattached a boy's head after an accident. Well, I mean, I mean that, that's, that's, just, that's an amazing article. So um, this guy had this young boy. Uh, had an accident, and he had uh, basically what's called an internal decapitation. Um, so you, you, you have what's called a C2 uh, or Jefferson fracture, and basically um, the bone becomes unhinged, and all the things that tear when that happens, you know, have to be reattached. And uh, this was done in Israel. The, the, the little the, the boy was uh, Palestinian. And um, they, re- they basically reattach this kid's head, uh, sewing all the structures back together. They said there's about a 50% chance of survival. So they waited about two, three months to, to report it. And apparently the kid's picture of the kid, he's doing fine. So, I mean, how freaky is that? Uh, Dr. Rick, can you also tell us about the Kentucky bone collector? <laughs> I mean, this is the worst. This is the worst thing in the world. So, What's happening is, I guess this this one uh, yeah, uh, from Harvard University are selling these bones, and this guy is collecting these bones, and I guess he sleeps with a head in his bed. You know, it's totally legal, and uh, this guy is just collecting all the. This guy from Kentucky, good old boys, is collecting all these bones, 
Uh, I'm sure he's selling some. I'm sure he's, I don't know what he's doing with the other ones. I don't want to even think about it. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I mean, it's just the most bizarre. Some of these stories are so bizarre, I pass them on because, no, you know, no one could believe it. But, again, I think getting dinged for having uh, their morgue or their whatever they call it, their procurement center, selling all these body parts. And uh, this is the second article where they've gotten dinged with somebody buying these body parts from all over the place. So, is again, there, uh, Dr. Rick. Is there any dangers for, like, keeping body parts like that? Do they have bacteria, where do you get, grow bacteria Where do you anything? get the body parts from? Yeah. Big well, dick upgrades. You, you die and you, you donate your body to Harvard Medical School. Wow. And you think, you know, some, some intern or some medical student is going to benefit from it. But they only need so many bodies, so then what they do is they, they they can actually sell certain body parts for research and sell certain body parts for, um, like, arthroscopy. So if I wanted to learn hip arthroscopy, we would get a cadaver hip and we would do hip. And all that's, you know, that's, that's standard practice. But then if you start selling it, people that are doing nefarious things with it, then it shows up, you know, in the media. And, and, and so you have to. You have to know where you're selling them, and the answer to your question, Joe, is yeah. I mean, if you don't if you don't know how to store them and take care of them, you know they're just going to de- decay and and create significant bacterial infections, etc. And I don't know if you've ever seen a decomposed body, but I mean it's the most. I mean the smell will will, will literally uh, you you couldn't stay in the same room. I mean you just would throw up. We used to put menthol inside our masks at the, yeah. in the morgue. You know, just to just to get by the smell, and then I'd still be in the bathroom yakking. I mean, it's awful. <laughs> you know, you were talking about attachments, and we've been hearing about this over the years. Men that get their penis cut off by girlfriends or whatever. When they reattach your penis, does it continue to work? Does it have the fluid and the blood flow? So, so it can have the blood flow. It doesn't have the neural. Um, working so the nerve doesn't really work and the neural stimulation you know that part that that component doesn't really work so yes blood flow goes to it but in terms of getting erect etc or responding to ed drugs uh it doesn't really work so yes you can sew the thing back on and if you're successful you know it will live but it'd be like if, if we sewed your foot back on but none of the nerves work so you couldn't fire the muscles or pull your foot up or bend your toes, etc. So, yeah, your foot's back there. But in terms of, you know, allowing you to ambulate, you wouldn't be able to really walk normally. And it's the same thing with the penis. You can sew the thing back on through microsurgery. But in terms of it, you know, working old school, uh, that doesn't happen. Yeah, the most famous one was John Wayne Bobbitt, of course. His wife <laughs> cut his, his member off and threw it in the, into the grass. And then luckily, the cops found it. Speaking of attachments, uh, and you brought up a foot, Doc, uh, fingers and, and things like that, are, are what are they easy to do? or and What kind of surgeon does this uh, sort of work? It's a great question. So those are microvascular surgeons. I mean, easy is relative. It's a relative question. So the guys that do it all the time don't really have trouble with the technology of doing it. They so the vessels, the arteries, everything back under a microscope, uh, it takes hours and hours and hours. When I was a resident, it took us 13 hours to sew back 
I think, two fingers um, under the microscope. So, I mean, it's a very tedious, slow process. But the guys that do it, you know, they, they know it's going to take all night and they're prepared. You know, they, they've done it a bunch of times and they can do it. So I don't think it's a technically difficult thing for them, for anybody else. If you're not a microvascular surgeon, you, you wouldn't even know where to begin. And, uh, you know, the interesting thing is to, to, to stop the swelling on some of these, we would put leeches on their hands to, to, to suck out sort of the excess blood and the excess fluid. And that was very effective in keeping their swelling down. So you would go and change the leeches every morning on morning rounds. But, yes, I mean, today, sewing back those parts, you know, is, again, not routine, but pretty predictable. Dr. Rick, my guest tonight, of course, is the incomparable Dr. Rick Lehman. Dr. Rick getting old, and I'm part of that phenom. Matter of fact, Joe is, too. He just doesn't realize it. What, what makes the body parts the hair especially turn gray? Well, so, so you know, getting old, most people believe, is a loss of the ends of your DNA, loss of the mitochondria, which are the little things that have energy oh. in your cells, and they don't work very well, and the DNA, the ends of the DNA start to break off, and that's basically the aging process. And what happens in your hair is you lose the pigment in, in basically your scalp. I mean, that translates in your hair, so... It's not that your hair, you you know, let's say your hair is black, you lose the black pigment. Your hair is blonde, you lose the blonde pigment, and then the base base color is then gray. Um, and so, you know, the same thing happens. You lose elasticity in your skin. Uh, you lose water supply in the meniscus, so you get breakdown in the in the joint because the cushion doesn't work. So this happens really all over your body, and basically, it's a it, it, the aging process decreases, like I said, the length of the DNA, and then these things just denigrate. And you're probably starting to die from about 21 to 22 till you die. I mean, you know, the, the first 15, 20 years, you're, 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 you're growing. You know, you're getting taller, you're getting stronger, things are getting better, and, and you know, the tree's getting as tall as it's going to get. And then after about 21, 22 Certainly by 30, um, that, the, the process of denigration has already started. The tree's starting to come down a little bit. Oh, so, Doctor, is that why they uh, they study? Yeah, apparently, yeah. Uh, is, it, is that why they study jellyfish? Because try to understand why jellyfish can uh, live indefinitely, or at least some species of jellyfish can? Well, so, you know, jelly, jellyfish have been documented to live 500 years, which obviously for us is crazy. Um, and, 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 and what they're trying to figure out from jellyfish, that's a very good question, a very insightful question, by the way, um, is how come they don't have the same tapering or breakdown of the DNA and they don't. So this is being, this has been studied blue zones where people live to hundred, 130, 120 are studied. And, and we're trying to understand the aging process from two parts. One part is, you know, the, the, basically the DNA part you know, the cellular part, and then the other part is the environmental part. So why do some people, you know, they're eating whatever they're eating, they're living in a certain environment, stress-free environment, again, these blue zones, they're living a longer life, etc. And so there's an environmental component. But from the jellyfish and some of these sharks that live hundreds and hundreds of years, they're trying to figure out why they don't get the same breakdown of the DNA. 
And, you know, at some point, someone's going to figure it out. The question then is going to be, you know, with the breakdown or some of the aging, do you really want to live to be 200? You know, what? Where is there a benefit? Or are you just going to be so decrepit for the last 100 years, you're alive, but for no real gain? And so these are the moral issues that I think a lot of these guys are going, not these guys, these scientists are going through. Yeah, the quality, we would think the quality of your life after a certain age, and you're like, why would I want to just sit here and be, you know, old and live to be 120 or whatever it's going to be? We talked about this many times, but uh, in speaking of age, women, Doc, seem to live longer. And it, why is that? Is it is there something in their DNA? Well, you know, everybody. If if you look at if you look at the answer to the question, everyone's going to, or every scientist that, that studies longevity is going to tell you women live longer of a lack of stress and that that probably was the case for many many years women you know stayed at home took care of the kids i would say that probably more stressful especially you know for some moms but again you don't have all this pressure of bringing home the bacon quote unquote the pressures of running the family you know being the guy everybody's looking to so it was always thought to be a stress related thing and what we're seeing is we're seeing more cardiovascular disease in women as they enter more aggressively into the workforce. So, in fact, it probably is true that as women become equals in the workforce, their level of stress is obviously going to go up and their life expectancy most likely is going to continue to go down because it already has declined. So, for years, women live 7 to 10 years longer than men, and that number is getting closer and closer. Now, the interesting thing is, Americans are living less long in the last two to three years to four years than ever. So we're starting to kind of revert backwards, you know, instead of living longer, which we did for years and years and years when people studied it, our life expectancy is starting to drop a little bit. And I think that's probably environmental. Dr. Rick, one of the most popular drinks in America today, you may buy it at the grocery store, the restaurant, the bars, they put it in your drink, Red Bull. What should we look <laughs> is Is Red Bull okay to drink? I know we're not trying to talk about a company, but what should we watch out drinking Red Bull? So I think all those high caffeine, carnitine, arginine, you know, drinks, um, some people feel they create uh, sludging. Basically, they slow down the um, transit time of the blood through the vessels, which then leads to what's called sludging, maybe some placking, and then maybe some disease. So some people feel that that long-term use of, of uh, some of these supplements, and Monster is no different, they're all about the same, uh, create sludging. I think if you're going to have one Red Bull every few days, I don't think it makes a bit of difference. You know, three, four Red Bulls a week, two couple Red Bulls a week, ain't going to make any difference. Dr. you're Rick, drinking five Red Bulls, go ahead. Go give it your... Health tip of the week. I need it. I need it bad this week. So, so if you're going to drink, you know, I think that's fine. I think if you're if you're going to drink three or four a day, you know, you're going to run into some issues. And so, I think it's like anything; it's moderation. But I don't think you'd be drinking five Red Bulls a day. But if you're going to have a couple Red Bulls a week, that's not going to hurt you. 
Dr. Rick Lehman, we thank you. Will we see you next week? Will you be via? I'll be here. I'll be in the in the studio, looking <laughs> good. Bring, oh, wow! Bring Ron Rogers and Dale Evans with you. Okay. We got. You know, what we got to do. We got to bring Colin here one one Thursday oh, yeah. night. Charlie's trying to get a date. Uh oh. <laughs> Doc, you still there? You we must have lost Rick. We must have lost him. Doctor Rick Lehman, thank you very much for yep. joining us. We're going to take a, 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 a quick time out. We'll come back with an interview that we did a few seasons ago with Coach Johnny Rowland. And uh, Tom was part of it, uh, Joe Davis, myself. We'll be right back.